Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus' love for us is a complete love. It lacks nothing. Do we understand that? We're in a world that is starved for love. We have people all around us who desperately need to know that somebody loves them. The love of God for them is what God wants them to experience. And it's a a love that is complete. It's a love that is not lacking. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 13, verses 18 through 38, in a message titled, A New Commandment. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, we're making our way through the Gospel of John, and the passage that we read at is our text today. And in our last teaching, we found ourselves peering in on the disciples with Jesus at the table, sharing in what we know traditionally as the Last Supper. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke at the Last Supper, the emphasis in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is on the fact that Jesus, at a certain point, he takes the bread, he breaks it, he distributes it, he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he takes the cup. He passes it. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins and so forth. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's the emphasis that they put on the Last Supper. John is recording the same meal, but he doesn't mention that at all. And of course, John writes his gospel, the last of all of the gospels. And so he figures probably that, okay, that's been stated. I want to focus on something else Jesus did that night that is also radically significant. So what John then focuses on is this act of Jesus where he washes the feet of the disciples, something that was just completely unexpected and really even unimaginable. But let me just take us back to that for a moment. So John writes that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So then Jesus goes on, and and having done this, as everybody is just completely stunned by what Jesus has done, they're stunned because what Jesus has done is he has just taken on the role of a slave. And it was the duty of the lowest of the slaves to wash the feet of someone, and now Jesus is doing that. And he goes on and he says to them, you call me Lord and Master, and you're right, that is who I am. And if I, your Lord and Master, have done this for you, then you ought to do the same for each other. He says that he had left them an example. So that's the background for 
where we come to. And as I mentioned, we're going to focus our attention on verse 34. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says. But before we get there, there are a few other things in the portion that I want to just make note of. And the first is found in verse 19. Now, Jesus in verse 18, he quotes a scripture and he says that the scripture is going to be fulfilled momentarily. And then he says in verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. And here's just a quick word on this. One of the reasons that we can have confidence that the Bible is God's word is that Jesus showed us here that the ability to foretell the future is something only God can do. So the Bible is full of predictive prophecy, tells us about the future, not in vague or generalized terms, but tells us about the future in very specific detail. And so Jesus here pretty much shows us that that is what we are to conclude from prophecy. Because he tells them, he says, I know those I have chosen, verse 18, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me or lifted up his heel against me. Jesus is telling them what is about to happen, that he is about to be betrayed. And he says, I'm telling you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will know that I am who I am. So when we read in scripture prophecy and we see it fulfilled, that is an evidence to us that this book is not simply the words of men. This is God's word. God who alone knows and foretells the future. Now, verse 21, let's jump down to verse 21. Well, verse 20, very, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus, it says, was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The point that I want us to see here is the fact that Jesus was troubled. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because a lot of times we mistakenly think that Jesus, because he was divine, because he was God, he was God and human, we forget the human side of Jesus and we forget that Jesus experienced emotion just like we do. And so here, Jesus, knowing that there is a betrayer among them, this is something that is hurtful to Jesus in his humanity. Let's not forget that Jesus was a human being like we are. Let's not forget that he suffered like we do. Let's remember those things because when we remember that, you know what it helps us understand? It helps us understand his mercy and his compassion when we suffer. Because if we think of Jesus as detached from human emotion or suffering, then when we're suffering, we don't think that he relates to us. But the Bible goes out of its way to tell us over and over again that he does. That he was tested in every point as we are, but 
The difference is he was without sin. So this is just a reminder to us of that. Now in verse 23, after Jesus has said that one is going to betray him, his disciples, verse 22, stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that's an interesting self-reference. Most people believe, I think it's absolutely the case. This is John referring to himself. He says this at another place later on in the, I think it's the 21st chapter. He also refers to the one whom Jesus loved. Now, why would John refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved? Well, he knew Jesus loved him. (laughs) So the thing that I want to take away from this and the thing that I think we need to realize is that, you know, that's true about all of us who are followers of Jesus. Jesus loves us. And John just happens to be one of those people who he gets it. He sees that. John's not perfect. He knows that there are plenty of things about himself that might potentially cause him to think that God really couldn't love him because of this, that, or the other thing. But John just knows. He just knows that he is loved by Jesus. Maybe Jesus demonstrated affection for John in ways that that he just, he sensed it. But what we all need to know is that we are the disciples that Jesus loved. Let's not go around thinking that, oh, I'm the disciple that Jesus tolerates. I'm the disciple that Jesus is always sort of bummed out at because, you know, I'm such a loser, but... I guess I'm still saved just because God is good. No, let's be those people who say, no, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. He he loves me despite myself so often. Again, with John, John wasn't perfect. There were times Jesus actually rebuked John. And yet he still had that confidence. He was a disciple that Jesus loved. Now, Judas... As we see here, he is the one who is going to betray Jesus. And so Jesus dipped the piece of bread. He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And what I want us to see here is just simply this reminder of this reality. There really is a devil. Satan is real. And he's out to undermine our faith. He's out to destroy our lives. A little bit earlier, it was said that Satan, having already put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus, he had prompted him, the NIV says. And let's just understand this. We don't want to freak out about it, but let's understand that there is a devil and he is out there working against you. He's working against me. He's working against the kingdom of God. He's trying to undermine our faith. He's trying to tempt us away from obedience to God. This is what he does. And Judas yields himself to that. And here he, it says that he was entered by Satan. He was taken over. Many have wondered, speculated about why Judas did what he did. Why did Judas betray Jesus? 
We know that he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. We know that Judas was greedy because John has already told us that. Could it have been the money? Perhaps. I think really with Judas, it was just simply that he did not like the program that Jesus had laid out. He did not want a suffering Messiah. He did not want a Messiah that was going to take up a cross and call his followers to take up their crosses. He wanted a Messiah that was going to reign in power and give that power to Judas as well. So for whatever reason, ultimately, Judas betrayed Jesus and he did it in conspiracy with Satan who entered him. And then the final thing I want to point out before we get into our primary text is Peter in verse 37. He, Jesus is saying, I'm going away. You can't follow me now. You'll follow me later. Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter was to his hurt, he was self-confident. And his self-confidence would often get him into trouble. And in another gospel, we read that, that Peter even says, when Jesus says, you're going to deny me, Peter says, Lord, even though every one of these other guys would deny you, I never would do it. So he's setting himself against all of his friends, saying, I am actually a better disciple than they are. I love you more. I'm more loyal to you. That's his weakness, his self-confidence. Jesus says, Simon, tonight you're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows. So I was just in Jerusalem three days ago, and I was at a, a location called Peter in the Galicantu. Peter in the Galicantu. Galicantu is Latin for Peter in the place where the rooster crowed. So this happened at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. So there's a place that many people believe is the home of Caiaphas or the ancient location where Caiaphas' house stood. There's a church there today, and thus that is where the name comes from. But Peter, he just reminds us of our need to be humble and recognize that unless the Lord keeps us, we're all vulnerable to falling. So those are just things that I thought we should touch on before we come to our main passage for the day, verse 34. Here Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. So this automatically brings up a question. And the question is, how, how is this a new command? Because this command was given centuries earlier to the people of God, all the way back in the book of Leviticus, which was written during the time that the children of Israel were making their journey into the promised land. It was stated there in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. And then over in verse 34, the same chapter, they were even told 
to love the stranger, the foreigner, those who come in and join you, love them as yourself. Yet Jesus refers to it as a new commandment. Love one another, a new command. How is it new? Well, he goes on and he tells us how it is new. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So the newness is that Jesus has now, he's demonstrated what the command originally meant. Because even at the time, there was um, willful, probably uh, ignorance of, of what it really meant. There was one occasion where Jesus is speaking to a certain person and the person asked Jesus, well, what's the most important commandment? Jesus said, this is it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man that Jesus said that to responded and said, well, who is my neighbor? So although the commanded said, you shall love your neighbor, it was like, well, I'm not really sure who my neighbor is, or I'm not really sure just what exactly does love mean? So Jesus is now, this is a clarifying moment for his people, and especially for his people who are now going to be his people into the future. And so that there'd be no question about what he meant when he said, love one another. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, John, if you've read your Bible for a while, if you've been to lots of Bible studies, you've probably heard this. John is sometimes called the apostle of love. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is John writes about love or the command to love, or he uses the term love more than any other biblical writer. So in all three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all together in those three gospels, the word love appears 23 times. In John's gospel alone, it appears 20 times. But in John's first letter, 1 John, which is five chapters. Now, the Gospel of John is 21 chapters, and it appears 20 times. In the epistle of John, the word love appears 24 times. So there's no other epistle or writer, 140 times between Romans and Revelation, the word love appears, but John, he exceeds them all. He is the apostle of love. Now, when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, what, what does that look like? How did Jesus love us? Just a quick note, the word here is agape. That is the word that is used, the Greek word agape. Cheryl and I did a class a few weeks ago. Some of you were in that class where we looked at words that, that Christians should know, the meaning of them, and we talked about the word agape. And how the word agape is a word that is translated love, but it speaks of a love that is complete, a love that is selfless, a love that is unconditional, and a love that is faithful. 
So when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, that's what he's talking about. Jesus's love for us is a complete love. It it lacks nothing. Do we understand that? We're in a world that is starved for love. We have people all around us who desperately need to know that somebody loves them. The love of God for them, the love of God for them through us is what God wants them to experience. And it's a love that is complete. It's a love that is not lacking in any way. It's a selfless love. See, God's love for us is not for him to receive something. It's strictly for us to benefit from. Now, all of us who love, in some way, we benefit from the person that we love in some way or another. It's sometimes we don't benefit simply because maybe there's no reciprocation on the part of the other person. Maybe you, you have a child, you love your child desperately. Your child does not reciprocate that love. Your child just says, you know, I hate my parents. I don't want to, that, that's a very difficult and horrible situation, but we know what it's like to, to love through that. Well, that's God's love for us. It's a selfless love. He doesn't love us because he benefits from it. God doesn't need our love. God is completely fulfilled within himself. So he didn't love us so he could get something back. His love for us is just completely directed at us because of who he is. So his love for us is selfless. His love for us is unconditional. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Paul tells us, that's John 3.16. Paul tells us in Romans 5.8 that God loving the world, when did that happen? While we were yet sinners, God loved us and demonstrated his love for us in that Christ died for us. So there wasn't some condition that we had to meet before God started loving us. God already loved us. His love for us is an unconditional love. And this is his love for the world. This is his love for us as well. God's love doesn't change when we don't live up to a particular standard. Like I was saying a few minutes ago, John got that. John knew he was the disciple that Jesus loved, even though he could probably find 10 things that somebody might say, well, how could God love you? Because look at this or look at that. So it's an unconditional love. Remember, this is the love that Jesus has for us. This is what he's saying, to love one another with. And then finally, it's a faithful love. It's a faithful love. It's a, it's a loyal love. It's a love that is there from start to finish. It's a love that doesn't let go. That's the love of Christ. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There's so many questions today about science and faith. And uh, are they compatible? Can you 
be even a scientific person and a believer at the same time? Well, Professor John Lennox from Oxford University says, yes, you can. And in his fantastic book, Can Science Explain Everything?, he basically shows us from a scientific standpoint and as a scientist that science cannot explain everything. But, of course, the Gospels and the Word of God do. So I love this book. It's an easy read. It's very helpful. It's a great book to read yourself and to even pass on maybe to a skeptical friend. So I want to encourage you to pick up Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. You can order the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.